0: Welcome to The Geek & Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal profession. I'm Marlene Bauer.
1: And I'm Greg Lambert. Well, Marlene, uh, last week we got to do the Lynx Conference, uh, so thanks to Colleen Cable and to uh, Chris Martin at Harbor um, and, uh, and Joanne there. Uh, had a great time. We took uh, we we took copious amounts of notes to be prepared to <laughs> to speak at the end, and then it turned out we didn't we didn't use hardly any of any of those notes at all. So. That
0: was that was very funny. It's like and it's it's fairly common. Like you basically do all this prep, and then it kind of takes a different course, and you know that's okay. So yeah, well, but yeah,
1: prepared really in, really, in good yeah,
0: exactly. a really good conference. Yeah, it was a really good conference, and really enjoyed the speakers and the panels. Got a lot of good information. Um, I should note. I should note for our listeners. So I am working uh, really remotely. Uh, I am working at my parents' house today. So, uh, so apologies for for any background noise or, or my, uh, it's like how it sounds. I'm kind of doing this off of my iPhone. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you, you'll just test my editing skills and
0: that, how well that's I can it.
1: how well I can get the breakfast dishes sound out of, out of the way.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> that's no joke.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I could, I could hear them.
0: <laughs> no, you could hear it.
1: So, so Marlene, we are lately just chock full of special episodes, and uh, this week is no exception.
0: Yes, we are very excited to have Christina Wojcik joining us today on the podcast. Uh, as many of our listeners read recently, Christina is the new managing director of corporate for LexFusion Fusion, and brings over twenty years of experience driving innovation in the legal services and technology. She has a very unique background, having worked on both the legal service provider side with companies like Pangea 3, IBM, and SEAL Software, as well as leading innovation strategy internally at City. Christina Wojcik, welcome to The Geek & Review. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure being with you
2: today. And Marlene, just like you had said, I'm, I'm kind of in transit right now, so I'm in a hotel room in New York City after world world week here and I'm just really excited to be here and to be with you today
1: well Christina you bring an amazing amount of experience in, in legal tech and innovation from you know a lot of different perspectives so what initially drew you into this field and you know what's what's kept you engaged uh, in this field throughout your career
2: You know, it's it's one of those things where it was kind of a combination of good luck meets bad luck meets timing meets, you know, eclectic meets not being afraid to do something a little outside the box. Um, You know, I, I went to law school not necessarily knowing if I wanted to be a lawyer or not, but it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time based on my undergraduate degrees. And. When I graduated, um, I moved to Washington, D.C. to focus on international human rights, especially with women and children being trafficked. But unfortunately, what I realized very quickly is that doesn't actually pay back your very expensive law school student loans. So a little bit of bad luck there, a little bit of naivete there. And so I quickly pivoted over to kind of the business side of, of law. So I was involved in the very early days of you know, moving document reviews from the the law firms to, you know, the, the the temporary attorneys or the contract attorneys, helping set up and run some of those shops at Kelly Law Registry. You know, I got really interested in more of the academic side of how one runs an in-house corporate legal department. So just my kind of curiosity took me to the the corporate executive board or then it moved to CEB and now it's been acquired by Gartner. To help you know in-house counsel recognize best-in-class practices for their legal departments through research and literature and from there it just kind of following my interest and following people that were doing really cool disruptive and innovative things it's just kind of captured my attention and i just keep following along that path
1: sounds exciting
0: (laughs) christina speaking of exciting you were at pangea 3 during its high growth and acquisition period um Um, when it was acquired by Thomson Reuters. So what key lessons did you take away from being part of the pioneering legal service community? So working with Pangea 3, I actually discovered them
2: very, very early in their stages, Um, just when outsourcing legal work to India was becoming a thing. Um, I was at the corporate executive board at the time, and I learned a little bit more about what they were doing just through the research of the CEB organization. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Right. Like I really believed in the vision. I really believed in the value that they were trying to to drive. And I really believed in the leadership um, that was growing that organization and growing that that category that hadn't really existed before. So Pangea Three's leadership with David and Sanjay and Greg McPullen and Jonathan Goldstein, Kevin Colangelo um, were just incredible. And I was working very closely with all of them in the, the U.S. when I had joined. And, you know, watching the team that David and Sanjay built around them, which includes Joe Borstein and people like Mar- Marilyn Primiano, who are just brilliant and passionate people about the things that they believe in. And so when I think about key lessons that I took away from pioneering a legal services company, or probably any company, is like really believing, believing in, um, you know, what you're doing, what your team is doing, and trusting in the, the leadership of the organization that, that you're joining. If all those three things come together, you can have incredible amounts of success. And fortunately for Pangea 3, we that's exactly what we had experienced.
1: Yeah, that's quite an all-star group of people that you worked with. Absolutely. <laughs> so making the jump from legal services over to legal tech, you know, starting with IBM, then you went to SEAL uh, Software. What stood out as some of the biggest differences that you saw between the two sides of the industry?
2: Um, I think that there there were more similarities probably than than differences, right? So the the services side and the tech side were all trying to solve critical problems that law firms and in-house counsel were experiencing, right? And I think that when we're looking at the, my experience at IBM, we were really trying to tackle some of the incredibly large challenges. So it was around the time that Watson had, um, you know, one jeopardy and really focusing at that time on how we could potentially apply cognitive analytics to the legal space. And there was a, a competition essentially within IBM as to where is, where should the productization of Watson's capabilities really be focused on. And at the time the decision was made, um, to To look at oncology, right? What can we do in the medical field with with Watson? What type of predictions can be made about cancer treatments? And you know, legal was coming in, kind of the, that next round of of uh, investigation and evaluation. Um, but then, when you think about Seal software, exactly what I had said about my um, experience at um, at Pangea three, which is I had a group of incredibly talented. Leaders uh, with Al Sederberg, Kevin, uh, with Steve Tucker, um, Dan Dayler, and many others. And I you know, apologize for not listing everyone there, but really incredible leadership who were really trying to to shake the way things have been done traditionally in the past to provide better professional and personal experiences for those people within law firms and corporations who were really struggling to ensure that they were adding value to. High, uh, you know, large-scale, repeatable type programs and projects. So I think in terms of leadership and in terms of goals and visions, very a lot of similarities between those two two startups. And I think the common thread between all of the startups is just the fearlessness of the people who are engaging with it to go and tackle something that you know truly hasn't been done before, hasn't been proven out, but knowing that it's the right thing to do, and and really just sticking to to. To that cause of driving value.
1: Uh, I'm just curious. While you were at IBM, and since this was during the the Watson hype, um, how how exciting was it being part of that at at the time? And
2: yeah, I mean, this is like where I mean, I couldn't have have timed that again. This is where the luck comes back in. I couldn't have timed that any better because. The amount of geek out sessions that we could have about the potential of cognitive analytics as it could be applicable to the the legal space before anyone else was really doing or thinking about it was such an, a fun ride. Right. It was so much fun to just sit down with some of the the brightest brains in the the in the the world, really thinking about what impact could we have if we could have, you know, actual thought-based processes to different areas within legal. Um, so it was a, an incredibly exciting time. You know, frustrating as well, because I wanted to see things happen as quickly as possible, because I appreciate the impact that it could make. But recognizing, and I think this is a little kind of alluding to what we're experiencing today with generative AI, also doing it cautiously, right? Because this is before a lot of the podcasts and the things going, well, this is actually before podcasting. Um, but around like, will the robots win? Right? Are the robots going to take over everything? Very, um, very. Um, I think a lot more fear, uncertainty, and doubt than needed to be at that time, given like the the limitations of the the technology. But still, that's really where we started the gears turning on what could the future look like if the robots are potentially in the opportunity, have the opportunity to to take over. We weren't quite there yet at IBM, but. You know, it's been an incredible journey watching how it's progressed to where we are today.
0: Yeah, I do remember the very sort of us versus them kind of feeling when, when everybody was kind of watching to see if, if in fact, Watson would win. Um, heading up innovation and tech strategy internally at, you know, top financial institution like Citi, you know, that must have given great insights into uh, legal department needs. So, what would you say are some of the biggest pain points that you see in legal teams uh, and what they're facing today?
2: I think what a lot of the legal departments are facing today is 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 a common is a common story, especially around you know some of the the tier one financial institution, and it's about you know spend analytics, big data, um, cost reductions. Um, it's also about um, selecting the right type of solutions to fit your needs. And the fear of potentially making a mistake in the selections of those solutions, um, you know, especially at organizations like Citi and the other tier one financial institutions and other highly regulated organizations, they're under constant pressure from regulatory oversight, from regulatory involvement. Um, you know, if, if, if the, the correct actions are taken, there might be opportunities for significant fines or immediate exposure. And legal is kind of at the forefront of a lot of that in terms of mitigating risk and ensuring that the organization is as protected as we could possibly be from a lot of different different a lot of different areas. And so you know when I think about things that legal departments really in-house legal departments want to ensure that they're doing is is getting access and visibility into information in different ways than maybe historically was was needed. And how, how do we do that, especially when you have as much data, as much information that p- flows through an organization the size of city? And how do we ensure that data is visible and being applied appropriately, um, as well as ensuring that all the other things that go into running a major legal organization, outside counsel management, you know, law firm performance, legal technology, e-billing matter management, and then some of the, the the challenges that we face when we're looking at the intersection of where business and legal meet, and ensuring that that intersection and the technology being used offers a seamless experience, so that way information flowing upstream and downstream is um, is is as um, untouched by manual processes as possible, in order to try and reduce any type of human related errors. So. When you're looking at a legal organization the size of a tier one financial institution, there are a lot of of pain points, but there's also a lot of incredibly smart people who are
0: working on, you know, addressing, solving, and mitigating those pain points every single day. You mentioned that fear factor. And I'm wondering, uh, in relation to legal technology, uh, are there discussions that you're aware of in terms of, you know, generative AI? And sort of what decisions should be made around that, particularly since the the technology seems to be changing very rapidly and regulations aren't really keeping up.
2: I think that there is significant um you know I don't know if 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 I would use the word fear but caution right very much kind of a proceed with caution, and it depends on the organization. Um, different types of organizations have different types of risk exposure, right? And there's certain types of organizations where you do not want them to, to potentially get this wrong because could it bring down the global financial market? That's a very, concern, you know, very big concern. Um, but there's other organizations where the impact, if they use generative AI or if any of their information is exposed in a way that will have less global impact and they have the opportunities to be maybe a little bit more fearless with their um, pursuit and use of technology, technology like generative AI, you know, within the tier one financial institutions, it's very much a a closed door situation right now where testing is going on in kind of a lockdown environment using large language models in areas where it can't necessarily be exposed to, to outside, um, influences, right? To ensure we understand exactly what it does, how it works, and what are the risk and control mechanisms we need to put around it to ensure that the, the monster doesn't come out of the box, right? Um, I, I alluded to like, a, I was just at a conference this week, incredible conference on Gen AI for, for legal. And, you know, I alluded to the fact that it was kind of like the monster behind the door. And I don't know if Stranger Things is a good reference to make, right? But you have all these scientists who are kind of behind the door poking and prodding at the Gen AI, understanding exactly how it's going to react, where it's going to get angry, where it's okay, and and how we can use it to potentially benefit, but not necessarily ready to open up the gates to let that monster out yet. Because once it's out, we if you saw Stranger Things, you know it can have negative impacts and implications. Um, and so I think we're still kind of at, at least in the tier one financial institute, still monster behind the door. Let's start looking at it for things that are within the realms of understanding. We know what it'll do. We know how to control it. But also, you know, even taking a step back from Gen AI, even when we're looking at more of the predictive AI, when it comes to things like machine learning, natural language, processing, latent semantic indexing, those things where you don't have to worry about the machine, whether it's hallucinating or lying to you, you just need to worry about whether or not the model is learning away from what you taught it, right? One of the examples I, I use is, you know, if I teach it to find um, a fork, like a dinner fork that you eat with. Over time, is it also pulling in like a pitchfork, right? Like you can see why the model might get confused. It's a fork, it's prongs, like it does things kind of similar. But like if I want to eat dinner, although sometimes I think my, my family would say it looks like I'm eating with a pitchfork. I'd prefer a dinner fork to eat dinner. So with with that type of, <laughs> you know, with that type of predictive analytics, it's a much, for the uses I had within my legal department, it was much less risk if it found out, if it was learning towards pitchfork than a Gen AI, you know, large language model, which is completely hallucinating everything that it's just told
0: me
1: well i can i can see why the the guys over at Lex Fusion wanted you on board um did i i, I can just feel the 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 energy and the experience coming off of you so but i i have to say I did read your title and um it looks like somehow or another you didn't just land a job at lex Fusion you landed three jobs so um from what i can tell you are man- your managing director for Corporate legal operations, commercial transactions, and innovative accelerations. So I want to congratulate you on the three jobs uh, that, that you've accepted there and then ask you, you know, how, how did uh, Joe, Casey, and Paul, uh, the co-founders there at LexFusion, how, how did they uh, twist your arm to, to get you to join, uh, join them there?
2: So those are my three um, titles for today. After this past week in New York, we probably have 17 more to add. <laughs> I won't, I won't encourage Joe Casey or Paul to to do that at this time. So we'll just keep it to those three. Um, you know, it's I've, I've I like I said, I've known Joe for many many years um, since my Pangea three days. We were together. He joined a little bit after me, but we were together through the acquisition by Thompson Reuters. And you know, he's incredible. He's just incredible. He is a, a wonderful person. He's brilliant. He's just a, a joy to to work with. So from a personality perspective, like immediate fit, Casey is a genius. And anyone who's had the, the pleasure of seeing him speak, you know, recognize that he is probably one of the foremost experts in kind of the next thing or the things that have been done in the past within the, the legal space. And he's just incredible. And Paul also had some time at, at Thomson Reuters and kind of the Pangea 3 crowd. And, you know, he is one of the most incredible, and I hate to use the, the term salesperson because I feel that that doesn't do justice to what he brings, which is really having the desire to fix problems, having the empathy to recognize that people are struggling and he knows how to help solve those problems. So he's delivering, you know, solutions to things that you know keep people up at night and so it's just the the combination of the three of them is is you know I talk about leadership and following the leadership the combination of the three of them it's it's a no, it was a no-brainer for me from a leadership perspective that um you know they they were they they're the right crowd to to join the other p- component i talked about earlier was vision right the vision of what they're trying to do and, and Joe told me a bit about the organization a couple of years ago when uh, when they got together and and, and started out and I, and I, I could see an inkling of a good idea. Um, but I, I hadn't had enough experience at, at city yet at the time to really understand the value or the impact that they can make, both on the law firm side and then from from my you know personal bias the, the in-house uh, corporate side. So you know I, I reconnected uh, with with I've, I've been connected with all of them for for you know, always. And, you know, I just started, started kind of processing it a little bit more myself, thinking like, you know, the amount of impact I've been able to have at City by creating an innovation lab, creating a program called Lawyer of the Future, um, creating an AI for legal program, so I could get my lawyers and legal department on AI tools so they could understand what it does, what it doesn't do. Um, I, I, I spent most of my career on the buying or on the selling side, excuse me, and so I know I know when the 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 vendor or the solution provider and technology is giving me demo magic or, you know, just kind of leading me down a path that I, I know that I not be able to deliver on. Don't ask me how I know that. I led pre-sales for a couple, you know, for a couple of years. So I kind of see I know demo magic when I see it. And I really hope I would, allowed City to make better buying decisions when it came to professional services, when it came to legal technology. Um, and so, when I thought about my experience in that eclectic um, experiences I have throughout my career on the on the sell side, and then my incredible journey at City on the buy side, I really thought that I could add value to Lex Fusion to help their membership, as well as to help their in um, law firm and corporate clients, you know, make better and more informed um, product development. And um, uh, decisions, help them develop products in a way that makes it easier for organizations as complex as you know tier one financial institutions to to buy and you know um, apply against their business and use cases, and then really help the the in-house counsel kind of cut through the madness that is legal technology these days to really hone in on those organizations that will solve their problems. Within their lifetime, <laughs> onboarding is quite a process. So if we can help accelerate some of the onboarding, because you know we're introducing the right people at the right time, then I'm just hoping I can really add value to to both sides of the house. And so Lexfusion Fusion turned out to be a perfect match for that. And every time I open my mouth there, they're like, "Great, Christine, we're going to add that to the things for you to do." So I'll probably stop here before I give them any more ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, no, no good deed goes unpunished. So <laughs> <Exactly>. be
0: careful. Exactly. <laughs> So, so obviously there is a lot going on, um, but uh can you can you hone in on a few things in terms of what really excites you about the new role and what you hope to accomplish?
2: Um well, a couple of things that are 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 really exciting to me. One, I was I I've spent the past week in New York getting to know some of our members. I I've, I've known a lot of them for, you know, a number of years, but you know, really getting to know their leadership and like I said, it's it's really about the leadership and the vision they have for their product and how they're delivering. And I think that the members that we are working with, they're odd, right? They are they are incredible. They have the right people. And I think that's one of the other things that I really like about Lex Fusion. They can be very selective about who they work with just because they have an extensive network. Um, and and they can really kind of hone down on those solutions and leadership that are are, are driving value. So incredibly excited about our membership. I'm really excited about expanding our our membership network to other areas within kind of the commercial transaction corporate space that will help solve additional challenges that in-house counsel face. Um, And then I'm also incredibly excited about, again, working with my former peers. I I still consider consider myself a peer, but my former peers um, within organizations to help them set up you know potential strategies to allow them to build innovation and technology programs if they don't have one already along the lines of of how i supported at 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 city so again taking that knowledge and trying to help others um, build a program that will see their organization successful but at at the end of the day too i i really want to see people have kind of that personal and professional individual satisfaction because Maybe they're making an impact they always hope they're making, or maybe because we're helping drive solutions that allow them to go have dinner with their family at night, right? I know that's kind of an old adage, but still people like to, well, some people like to have dinner with their family at night. Some people, it's a great excuse not to go home and have dinner with their family. But if I can help drive whatever their personal, professional goals are um, through my experience, like that's, you know, that's, it, it's it's so exciting for me.
1: Um, what does, what's the customer that you're, attracting look like what what's the reason that someone would reach out to you uh at at lexfusion to help them what's a problem that you would help them solve
2: Um, well you know i have a, a very wide range of of knowledge some of it's useless but hopefully some of it's also useful so i think on the member side what we can offer is not only our incredibly extensive network, you know, our, our reach into law firms, our reach into in-house corporations, but also our extensive understanding of what it takes to build a successful organization from the ground up, right? Some of our members are very well established. Some of our members have recently been acquired, Um some of our members have already gone public, right? But some of our members are, are, are looking to build, grow, scale, and then, you know, potentially in the f- future have an exit strategy. So if I can take my experiences on the services side from Pangea 3 through the technology side from, from SEAL software and help them kind of craft that vision into whatever the leadership's ultimate goals are, you know, I, I really hope to be able to help support that on the membership side. But again, like I said, I also want to bring in members that have a um, a bigger kind of um, allows us to expand our portfolio to have more offerings that will service more of the the corporate clients. For the 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 corporate side, you know what I I, I really hope is I can help them accelerate their time to bring innovation on board um, and. You know, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm getting very excited about the, the opportunity, so I want to make sure your question didn't, didn't didn't get away from me a little bit. Um, but I think that the the value that LexFusion brings is both on that membership side, helping build companies and and get their products in front of the right people, but then also on our, you know, our our other customer side, making sure that we are bringing them the right products to solve for the, the challenges that they're facing and knowing that it's coming from a trusted source. That we have been through it with you, we're not here to to do anything other than to support your your goals inside.
1: Now, there was a an interview you did uh, last week, week four, with uh, Caroline Hill, who's who's great with the uh, Legal IT Insider. and In that, you said something that that kind of caught my eye um, with your experience at, at City, and and we kind of talked about it here. In that, you know, you you don't necessarily want to do something that will cause the whole, you know, global financial infrastructure to crumble. Um, but that, you know, you, that, that also kind of can, can, can prevent a, you know, a good conducive, uh, environment to, to you know, thoroughly test things to really kind of reach out and, and, try new things. And you talked about, uh, why failing fast was actually a good thing. Um, I I would love to scratch at that a little bit more. What 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 do you mean by failing fast is actually a a really good thing?
2: Yeah, it sounds a little counterintuitive, right? Where no one ever wants to have the word word failure anywhere near their their name. But um, you know, I I think that failure, especially in legal, especially illegal. yeah, and I think that you know what when I when I had joined City, um, they had many different types of technology support available, depending on whether you are, you know in on the business side, the legal side, um, more of a kind of a overall strategy for city as a global organization. And historically within our, our global legal support, um, on the technology side, they're an incredible team at um, taking a solution that has been selected, uh, implementing, deploying, you know, building it out. And then moving that into a business-as-usual BAU status, which is essentially just ensuring that the technology continues to behave as expected, making sure we're putting the right patches on it, making sure we're getting the right updates to it. And this is more probably appropriate for when we had everything on-premise. You know, as we moved to the cloud, it became a little less important because there's um, the lift is different when things are on cloud versus on-prem, right? But what I what I found is that as I'm exploring and as I'm looking at cool technology, especially in the emerging category, I wanted to be able to tinker with it in a safe environment and understand whether or not it truly works against our use cases. Because the onboarding process at City can take up to two years, right? So if I pick something and then I go down the road and two years later, I go to implement and deploy it and find out, yikes, that didn't quite meet the brief because maybe Maybe a, a salesperson got one past me and I, I didn't quite see the demo magic or maybe we didn't test it in the right way during like a POC or pilot. So I wanted to, you know, put together uh, an area within the organization that would allow me to really rigorously test um, different products against my my organizations, um, legal organizations and also partially business um, organizations, business requirements and, and use cases. And I also wanted the ability to um, to look at building technology stack solutions, especially when it came to regulatory responses, right? How can we reduce the amount of uh, manual touches that we have during a large-scale regulatory response? How can we add automation to it? Um, and I, I love to use analogies. Um, this may or may not hit. Uh, my former team at Citi... Um, Vicky, James, Janine, Brian, Diane. Um, if you're listening to this, you're probably laughing at me right. Now. So I'm going to try an analogy. Um, so when I when I think about it, my my innovation lab that we built and it was based in London and Tel Aviv and had components coming out of Dublin and, and New Jersey was really kind of the the place where we made the sausage. Now I love vegan sausage. I love meat sausage. This is generic, just sausage, right? So the lab allowed me to kind of build the recipe, right? So we could source different types of 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 products we could look at different types of combinations different types of flavor categories look at different texture options in a way that we could quickly say you know We thought that by adding blueberries, that was going to make the sausage delicious. It did not. Let's remove the blueberries and try maybe fennel instead, right? So it allowed us to kind of like play a little bit before we had that final solution architected to move over to deployment and to to BAU. So at the end of the day, what comes out of the lab could be handed over to that technology function that is incredible at those things that I mentioned, implementation, deployment, and moving to BAU. So- We go to the sausage factory, create an incredible sausage, and then we can move that into handing over to the grill master, handing it over to the host to distribute. And then we have the recipe that we can use again next time, right? And then when we want to do something new, we can go back into the lab and and start tinkering again. So it gave us the freedom to to pull things in, to move things out in a way that did not commit us to a two-year onboarding cycle prematurely. And so we had much better architected solutions coming out of the lab and accelerated some of that deployment um, and implementation challenges that we we may have struggled with previously. And by
0: the way, can I say stop? Well, now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm starving now. So it's like, I got to go get breakfast. Um, so, Christina, we're, we're just about at the end of our time. And this has been fantastic. And, and usually how we close is that we... We ask all of our guests our crystal ball question, and that is, what challenges or changes do you see in the legal industry over the next two to five years?
2: So I think some of the changes are absolutely going to be in the, the legal tech space, right? I think that there, it, it is ripe for some consolidation. Um, I would anticipate, especially in the CLM space, um, if you go to any conferences, you see 800 new CLM vendors every single year. That will start to start. We should start seeing a consolidation yes. of of that market. We need to. We absolutely need to because it's it's muddled, and it's no longer good enough to say that I'm different because I have AI, right? Like, yes, you're different now if you don't have AI. But I'm also like gay. you and every you and everybody else get get in line. Yes. get in line. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I think we're also going to see those control factors coming in over the generative AI. So those organizations that are a bit more risk adverse will be using it um, in production instances because they understand kind of the nature of the beast, what it can do, and what the opportunities to to bring value to the organization in the appropriate control framework. So I think that those are some of the things that we are are, are absolutely going to see and you know the final thing that we we might see, and we talk about this all the time, so I'm even hesitant to say it, but you know um, kind of more pressure on the law firms from new and innovative ways to provide legal advice to organizations with technology as a foundational layer. So instead of building a firm looking at potentially law firms as or lawyers as like the first key component, potentially looking at technology as the first key component and then building the lawyers on top of the technology don't know but think that's very very intriguing
1: well christina wocek uh managing director of corporate for lexfusion along with now i think we've we've added up 20 jobs uh that you, <laughs> that you have uh i want to thank you very much for taking the time this week especially since you're you're in new york uh, uh doing other things uh to come on the show and, and talked about us uh, with your new role there lexfusion thanks
2: thank
0: you so much uh and, of course, thanks to all of you, for our listeners, for taking the time to listen to the Geek and Review podcast. If you enjoy the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at Gabeauer M on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at MGabeBauer66 on Threads.
1: And I can be reached on LinkedIn as well, at uh, Glambert on X, and GlambertPod on Threads, and Blue Sky, and all the, all the other things that are out there right now. So. Uh, Christina, if uh, someone wanted to learn more, where's, and, you know, they wanted to reach out, uh, where's the best place that you could be found online?
2: Um, you can absolutely reach out to me on LinkedIn, but you can also email me directly at um uh, at LexFusion.com. And I look forward to hearing from everyone.
0: Listeners can also leave us a voicemail. Greg, we still have voicemail? <laughs>
1: uh, sure. We'll, we'll say.
0: Okay. You could still leave us a voicemail on our Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7821. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSica. Thank you, Jerry.
1: Thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I'll talk to you later.
0: Okay, bye-bye.